Welcome. This is the Loving Liberty Network. This is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense, the real defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. I'm your host today, Delaine England, and I am so thrilled to be joined with Representative Shipp. Welcome, Representative. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, we really appreciate it. You have been a great rock star this session. We have really appreciated your hard work. And we're going to talk about, you know, a totally, I honestly, it is a controversial bill, HB 92. And it just amazes me that this bill is controversial. I'm like, this is amazing that a bill like this could be considered controversial. So first of all, why don't you tell us what the bill does? And then we're going to ask you, just to give you a heads up, why you decided to run this bill. Okay. Well, HB 92 is a medical practice amendments. And uh, the amendments that it makes in medical practice is uh, it makes it unprofessional conduct for uh, medical professionals to use puberty blockers uh, and cross-sex hormones on kids before age 16. Originally, when we set the bill up, it was uh, it was going to make it age 18. They had to be 18 before those could be used. But in an effort to get it out of the rules committee and to be heard in a committee, we reduced the age. We were able to get it out of the committee. And so the right now, there's a lot of kids that are uh, being pushed into this transition. Uh, things. Uh, you know, kids uh, feel like they maybe have a, 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 dys- a dysphoria, uh, a biological sex dysphoria, uh, which I, I think is a real thing. Uh, yeah. my, my feeling has always been, well, if we have a kind of a mental problem with this dysphoria, why, do, why should we be damaging perfectly healthy bodies because these uh, cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers cause irreversible damage uh, to these kids. And they're certainly way too young uh, to be making that kind of a lifelong decision. And so the the nexus behind the bill was to not allow that to happen until age 16. Uh, And uh, and at at that point, they'd have to have parental permission as well. So that's kind of the then you know the nut that we're talking about right there about the bill excellent yeah this is so interesting because i think that a lot of the citizens in the state of utah and probably maybe even around the country because this is happening all over the nation and frankly all over the world but it's i think a lot of people in utah are really i well i know this because whenever i talk to someone about it they are so surprised that this is happening in Utah. They know that it's happening, but they don't think it's happening in Utah. 
And in, I believe it was 2015, and you correct me if I'm wrong, 2015, five of our youth under the age of 18 um, were receiving either cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, or surgery for gender dysphoria. Yes. But, and that that's a small number, but it's still five people too many. Um, but what is the amount of the young people who have received this kind of treatment, medical procedures in 2020? Well, in 2020, based on the controlled substance database, uh, then this has to do with uh, young women because uh, testosterone is a controlled substance. And so they keep statistics on the use of it. Uh, there's over, there's like 660 something uh, youth under age 17 using testosterone. And uh, I don't know that there's any other reason they would be using testosterone uh, at that, those ages if it wasn't for this transition. And so, like you said, we've gone from five or six in 2015 to 2020, we're up to over 660 individuals. And so it's rampant out there. In fact, I have talked to some people that have told me either other, other representatives that have indicated that within their neighborhood or school that a lot of these young uh, kids are, are uh, and primarily it seems to be the girls more, are kind of get together and decide, and they ask each other, what gender are you? And it's like some sort of a craze out there as to, gosh, you know, there's males and there's females, and it's that's our biological sex. And uh, I know sometimes there's some, maybe been some abuse incident that's caused them to feel like they don't want to be a girl or a boy. Uh, but in the process with this dysphoria, they need to have some good counseling and good therapy, not chemically change their bodies. And, and that's what we're trying to prevent is to, uh, to prevent that. Now, some of the parents that are doing this uh, have indicated, well, I'm just trying to save the life of my, my child because they've said if they can't do this then they're going to uh, take drastic measures uh, and, and have even talked to suicide. And uh, my thought on that is, you know, they do need some good counseling and therapy and, and not to chemically change their bodies. I think there's some ways to work around that because these kids are being ruined for the rest of their lives uh, by these procedures. You know, that's such a good point. It's so true that these children, when you're young and you're growing up and you're going through puberty, it is so confusing, especially nowadays. And children are suffering from dysphoria, gender dysphoria, and just even just so many different things. It can be life can be so confusing, especially for young people who have been through some trauma, and they've either girls that have been raped or sexually abused, and same with boys. A lot of times, it is it causes them to to think I don't want to be I yeah I want to be this sex because if I weren't this sex, this wouldn't have happened or I can get rid of it. And I have a really good friend, and you know her, who was raped when she was a young girl, very small, under six. And she thought in her mind, because little kids, you know, try to figure things out. If I wasn't a girl, that could never happen to me again. So if I change from a girl to a boy, um, then I can take care of that problem. But of course, we know that the problem is that even when you change your, your 
your body, it doesn't change the way you feel. It doesn't make that dysphoria go away. So where, as you've so well stated, you're, you're trying to solve a problem with a re- resolution that will not ever address the real problem. This physical problem, making, taking all these drugs and changing the body physically will never change the emotional and mental issues that a, a person is going through. And because it is such a lifelong, you, when, when you make these changes, it's forever. It doesn't you really, it, you can't go back. It just isn't true. Even though there are doctors that say, oh, it's, it's reversible. You can't reverse not having puberty, going through puberty. You can't yeah. reverse some of these uh, kids later on, after they've done the transition, they realize, well, I still have the dysphoria. Exactly. And, and, now, and yet now I've ruined my body. And so there, there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, depression and, and things on that side of it, too. So. And think about it. Once you've done all that and it didn't help you, think about how hopeless you feel. Because you've gone through all of that, and then you still don't have resolution. You don't feel any better. Then you really feel depressed. And, and the, um, there are studies that show a, a young person who has gender dysphoria and goes through the puberty blockers and the cross-sex hormones and surgery, they are 19% more likely to commit suicide than if they didn't do it. So that. I think that's where the suicide really comes into place. And we want to save these children from, from long-term irreparable damage and from ever feeling so much despair that they do want to commit suicide. We want to give them hope. And there is a lot of hope. There really is. I think one of the things that's super exciting is that young boys, if they're left to their own devices, just left to mature and grow up and go through puberty, 97. 8% of them will stick with their original biological sex. Absolutely. And 88% of girls will. I find that very helpful. Yes. What's the rush? Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, yes. I, it's, such a, it's such an important issue because we're talking about our children. We're going to be right back. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Representative Ship to talk about this. Thank you. Maybe you've heard about MediShare and you know what it is. It's the affordable alternative to health insurance. But you've wondered, can I really save a significant amount of money on my monthly health care bills? And the answer is an emphatic Yes, you can. You can save a lot of money, whether it's just for you or for an entire family. MediShare has an option for you. In fact, the typical family saves $500 a month switching to MediShare. And it really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. You get free telehealth services. You get a huge network of doctors. You get great customer support. And you get the sense of security that comes from being a part of 400,000 people who share not just each other's medical bills, but purpose, too. 
MediShare is a community of Christians who pull together and pray for each other, which is very refreshing right now. If you want more info, it's so simple. You can get a price within two minutes. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. Pure Light has invented a new type of LED light bulb that makes all other light bulbs obsolete. This new type of LED bulb acts like a $1,000 air purification system, only better. Put this light bulb in, turn it on, and within minutes it starts cleaning and purifying the air and the surfaces around it. Um, I have a stinky dog, and so I put the four bulbs in within 24 hours. I could tolerate it, and then when I turn the lights on in the morning, I went back 20 minutes later, nothing, no smell. The Pure Light LED light bulb performs seven functions besides providing light, including cleaning the air of all types of odors, any kind of smoke, of eliminating mold and eliminating deadly germs like salmonella, E. coli, even flesh-eating bacteria. My kids who are grown up say our house smells like old people house. And so I put bulbs in the hallway and my uh, kids from Florida came last week and said, man, the house smells great. See for yourself at pure-light.com. That's pure-light.com. It's the next generation of light. Mounds and mounds of fur. Our hairballs have hairballs. Our cat mama, she's 10 years old. She has dandruff and an oily coat. I have two cats, Dixie and Daisy. Daisy sheds like crazy. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I just tried this wonderful, catalicious Dynavite for cats, and my cat has been on it for two weeks. She is not scratching anymore. She's not chewing anymore. It is just the best. I was thrilled when I heard Dynavite for cats was coming out because I had seen the changes in my dog. To introduce my cat to Dynavite, I took the advice from Dynavite and put their food on top of just a scoop in the bowl just to get them used to it because I know if I even switch one little thing, they put their nose up to it. There was not one problem. Dynavite for life. You won't believe how happy your cat will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network. This is Delaney England, your host today. We're on with Representative Ship. We're so glad to have you join us. And we're talking about a bill that did not pass the House this year that was presented an excellent bill to protect our young people from serious, serious consequences. HB, HB 92, um, medical procedures, but it is a bill that does really sought to address really protecting our young people. And Representative Ship was the sponsor of the bill. And so Representative Ship, where the bill didn't pass, it really didn't even, it, we got a committee hearing. That committee hearing was one of the worst disasters I've ever seen, um, really, because of Representative Spenlove did something that I've never seen anyone do before. I've never seen anyone behave that way in a committee. I've never seen such really disparaging behavior to another representative and to the chair of the committee. That was very, very sad. But it did, unfortunately, cause the, the bill to not be voted on. So the bill has really never gotten out. We had great testimony. I thought you did a fantastic job on your lineup, and you had really good testimony in favor of the bill, simply making it so that a child under 16 years old, um, the medical professionals cannot give them puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, or 
surgery. or surgery um, on them when they're young. They have to wait until they're an adult to do it or 17. So, yes, I know you want to say something. Yes, the, I was just going to say it, it made the surgery not available till they're 18, uh, but the Excellent. blockers and the cross-sex hormones, they had to be at least 16. And as far as the committee hearing this goes, uh, it was condensed down. We had to change our presentation. It wasn't what we wanted to present. Uh, there was uh, some misinformation on the committee. They, the committee thought that it would have been brought out under the first substitute. We it did move quickly once uh, they decided to let it out of rules. And uh, the committee, several of the committee members had gotten misinformation. They thought that they thought we were trying to subvert the process, which we, I would never do that. We didn't do that. But at least we had a discussion. You know, we got it out there, had, just had a good discussion, had some good testimony. Uh, some things came out of that that I think are going to really help us in the future. And the thing I just keep thinking about is there's so many of these kids that are going to continue to get damaged in the process. And, and we just really need to move forward as quick as we can. I did submit it to interim study. Uh, uh, the chair of that committee indicated that he'd be happy to, to have some uh, discussion during interim on it. And I'd like to get prepared for next year because and I've kind of mentioned to leadership that I plan to bring it back, that, that I'm not going to let this issue die because it is so important uh, to protect our kids. And I'm hoping that we can rally some support around the state from the grassroots that will encourage their representatives to support this. Yes, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so glad that you're not just giving up and just surrendering because as I've talked to people about this bill, I have yet to talk to someone who does not feel passionately that this bill needs to be passed. And that doesn't matter whether they've been transgendered. I have many people who have transgendered feel very strongly that, that no, children should wait. They, it's, it's not reversible. Children should wait till make the decision. If they want to do it as an adult, that is fine. But they shouldn't be pressured into it or even have it as an option when they're young because they can they almost always change their minds and and even you know gay people we had a great friend of ours that is gay that that um is behind is very supportive of this so we know that there this is not something that is anti-transgendered or anti-lbgtq at all it is it is actually not in the least bit it's actually a great protection for every child, the great protection for everybody. Yes, it's just like, uh, don't. I just like, Go ahead. I was just going to say that there are a lot of things that we don't let our kids do and participate. Exactly. And, uh, and so this is one of those things that, Hey, you just have to say no until they're of an age. You know, we don't let them smoke. We, they don't aren't allowed to drink or drive a car. Uh, over the years I've raised seven children and, We've always, my wife and I have to tell our kids no a lot, you know, because it's it's not the right time for them or it's not appropriate. And this is one of those things that parents need to just plain be able to say, I'm sorry, you can't do that. It's it's not appropriate and it's not even legal. And that's what we're trying to do is help it to be unprofessional conduct if a doctor decides to, to allow that to happen. 
I love that you brought that up because I think that's really important because, you know, there were, there were, it's been a few years because we did pass a law against it, but we had, um, at one time we had parents who would say, I don't want my kids out drinking. I don't want them out at a party drinking. So I'll have a party at home and provide the alcohol. And then I know that everyone's safe because they're drinking at our house and that that will be safe. And then we actually had to pass a law to stop parents from doing that because it's so alcohol is very damaging to children's brains while they're in the process of being developed. And again, as adults, they can do what they want to, but we have to, as a society, we decided we needed to protect children and make sure that even parents don't harm their children. It's a very, I know it's a difficult thing as a lot of people will say, um, you're getting involved in parental rights. Why shouldn't parents be able to choose this for their children? That's true. Uh, there's a lot of those out there that say that. And, and, you know, my uh, response is, is, you know, there are certain things that a, a, a child should not have to decide before they're developed. Their brains are still developing. Why would we ever put them in a position to even agree, even though they want to do it, to something that's going to be irreversible, irreversible damage to them uh, when, they're, when they're not fully developed, uh, you know, uh, your brain isn't fully developed till in your early 20s, any even as late as 25 years old. And here in the teenage years, 13, 12, 13, 14, we're allowing these kids to damage their bodies. They, they, they're not making good decisions. They're not, they shouldn't have to be making that kind of a decision. We shouldn't be allowing them to make that kind of a decision is my perspective. And I, I know that there are parents out there say, well, you're getting in the way of medical doctors and the parents and the kids. Well, gosh, you know, are we getting in the way of, of, of parents that may want to allow their kid to smoke? Well, no, we've decided as a society we don't allow that. And this is one of those things I think we need to take the same stance on. I couldn't agree with you more because I don't, I don't like the government being involved in parental rights. I'm a parent. I don't like the government being inserting themselves into my relationship or my role as a parent. I totally agree. But of course, we would never, our society would never allow parents to abuse their children. We don't allow them to abuse them in any way, physically, um, sexually, mentally. Um, you know, we wouldn't ever put up with that for a nanosecond. And so um, this is the same kind of thing. This is very abusive, especially when per their own, the, per their own, their own telling us that this is, they're very fluid, that they come in and out of it, that it's really very emotion-based. They're very, they're fluid. It isn't something that is set. They, these children don't decide, this is what I am, and I'm stuck with it forever. They, they go in and out of it. It's a fluid decision, and so we don't want to do something to them permanently that is something that is fluid and that they do change their minds. So, um it's a very important bill. So what can citizens do to help you with this bill? Well, what citizens need to do is to get in touch with their legislators, their senators and their representatives and, and encourage them to support this bill as it comes up this next uh, session. That's what they need to do. Okay. That's a great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us, Representative Schiff. We really appreciate you. Thanks so much.
We're so happy that you're joining us. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network. This is the Liberty Moms Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense, the real defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. We're so grateful to have you join us. And we are so thankful to Representative Ship. He's from Cedar City. He's just an amazing man. I'm very impressed with him. He has done such a great job as a representative in our state, and he's done a great job to really take on some difficult issues and, and yet very important ones to protect our children. And I just, I just wanted to bring up one other point that I think is really important on this bill of just protecting children and not allowing medical professionals to mutilate their bodies or do anything damage to their bodies until they're adults. I mean, once someone's an adult, then they can make that decision of their own. But I think it's also important to know that Planned Parenthood is the second largest provider of puberty blockers. And they have actually come out and said that these young transgender children, these children with suffering from gender dysphoria, are, this is, these are their words, they are a cash cow. Because they said once they get them on puberty blockers, they will automatically get them on cross-sex hormones. They'll have the surgery and they will be on these prescription drugs for the rest of their lives. And after talking to some people who have transgender, they said that's absolutely true. Once you start on these drugs, you're on them for the rest of your lives. And you, you are always needing to have these hormones or testosterone pumped into your body. And um, they make $550,000 per child, where an abortion is $500 and um, a transgender child throughout their lifetime, they will end up making $550,000 to $600,000 per person. So they, they just said, this is just fantastic. So really what this is, as we're concerned about these young vulnerable children, what it really is, is it's an opportunity to make a lot of money on these young, vulnerable, innocent, sweet, adorable young people that really deserve to have a chance of childhood and, and youth and, and, and being teenagers and, and grow up and figure things out before they make such huge decisions. But So that's a bill that I think we really need to work on throughout the year. And the, the key really is to talk to your friends, let people know, so that people understand that, that they're, we really do need to protect these kids and they can support their legislators in supporting this bill when it does come up. Um, Okay, there were a lot of really great bills at the legislature this year. There, we really had a lot of bills, and a lot of good things happened and some sad things happened, but I just kind of wanted to focus on some of the good things that happened in our legislature. One of the bills was SB 228, Electronic Free Speech Bill. So this bill gave, basically gives some guidance into protections for freedom of, freedom of speech on electronic devices and in social media platforms. And it protects our individual right to privacy and to free speech. So I was really happy to see that bill come up and it did get passed and I was really pleased about that. Another bill was um, HB 308, COVID vaccinations. So COVID vaccinations is um, a bill that protects individuals, again, from the government of the Utah government, not the federal, from the Utah government from 
forcing a person who does not want to have an experimental foreign matter injected into their bodies without their permission or without their, um, yeah, agreement that the government can't do that. And so that was a really important bill. That was very helpful. That bill only applies to the COVID-19 vaccination. It doesn't apply to any other vaccination and it um, only applies to the government. So that does not mean that your employer can't force you to do it. It only means that the government can. So speaking of that, that takes us to eight, um, let's see, I don't think I could, oh yes, SB 208, try, try and remember all these numbers. So SB 208 is an employee medical pr protection procedure. And that was a fabulous bill in my opinion, and it did not pass. And we, there was a lot of pushback. I knew there would be a lot of pushback on that bill. This, for me, is one of the most important bills of the session, along with the HB 92. This bill says that employees are not, cannot be forced in order to keep their job to get a vaccination, specifically a COVID-19 vaccination, in, in order to work. So if a person just felt like, I do not feel the risk, I do not feel concerned, and I do not want to get this vaccination, just felt that they shouldn't have to be vaccinated in order to keep their job. The problem in Utah is we are, which is not usually a problem, we are a, a right to work state, which I find, I as an employer, I love that. I love that. People don't like the job that we offer to, to them, they, they can go get a job elsewhere. I totally agree with that. I don't feel like, um, I don't like the government to be inserted in between myself as an employer and my employees. I think the government is far too controlling of our private businesses as it is. So I don't really want that to happen more. The problem with this is at what point do we draw the line on personal sovereignty and my bodily autonomy in order to keep my job that I only work at maybe eight, nine hours a day should I have to sacrifice or risk my life and my health in order to do that job? Now, of course, if you're a window washer, you might figure you're already risking your life just to do the job, but you know that that's part of the job that is different. Should you be have to risk your life and risk your health in order to do another job that does not, the job itself does not require that kind of risk. So, I personally, even as an employer, feel very strongly that I shouldn't surrender my health in order to, um, in order to keep my job. And of course, see, it, we're presupposing that getting a vaccination, first of all, keeps you from being contagious or keeps you from being able to get a sickness, a disease. But as we know, that isn't the case. And the CDC and the, and the federal government has been very clear and very upfront. Just because you get the vaccination does not mean that you cannot get COVID or other diseases. It does not mean there are not risks. And we do know that there are health risks associated with any and every vaccination, including, including the COVID-19 vaccination. It also, we know that there are risks of death. There are people who have died from the vaccination. There are people who've died from the, from the virus. So not getting it will not stop you from dying. Getting it will not stop you from dying. There isn't anything we can really do. We can mitigate the risk as much as possible, which we should do. But 
you know, I think we just have to remember that there, if an employer forces someone to get the vaccination, they are taking on a great liability risk because there are a great number of people who do have long-term side effects. So that bill did not pass because of the big businesses in the state of Utah, not the small businesses, but the big businesses who felt that they don't, they want to be able to control their employees past that. And, and of course, um, there are always going to be, there's always going to be restrictions on that where a lot of people feel that the medical profession, I don't agree with that. I don't want to have a medical professional who's received a vaccination. It doesn't make me feel any safer, but there are people who feel that that's important. And then of course, international travel is a difficult one because it's not about our country or our state. Um, internationally, you're probably going to have to get it in order to travel. So that makes sense. That's agreeable. But that bill, we're going to try working on that through the, through the um, session, through the interim session. Another bill that I really like is um, HB 136. It's Initiative and Referendums. And I like this bill because I think that Representative Tusher did an excellent job in really coming up with a bill that would really resolve kind of both sides of the issue so it doesn't really um, make it harder for people who are gathering signatures and it doesn't make it necessarily easier. I think it was a very, very well-crafted bill. People who get paid to gather signatures there's a little bit of a problem with that. And the problem with that is that there it's ripe for fraud. And so if people are paid to do it and they get paid per signature, then there's an incentive to maybe not be forthcoming and share all the correct information. So what happened the last time we had an initiative is that, that people were being paid they would take out, we had like six or seven initiatives, at least six initiatives on the ballot. And so people would go out and get signatures for all of them. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back to finish talking about initiatives and referendums. to be constipated with belly pain, straining, and bloating again and again. No way. You could have a chronic condition called irritable bowel syndrome with constipation, or IBSC. Linzess, or linaclotide, is a prescription that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives to help relieve belly pain and let you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get 
immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Talk to your doctor today. You may be able to save on Linzess and make fewer trips to the pharmacy. See if you're eligible to pay as little as $30 for 90 days. Visit Linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. Sponsored by Abbey and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. Pure Light has invented a new type of LED light bulb that makes all other light bulbs obsolete. This new type of LED bulb acts like a $1,000 air purification system, only better. Put this light bulb in, turn it on, and within minutes it starts cleaning and purifying the air and the surfaces around it. Uh, I have a stinky dog, and so I put the four bulbs in within 24 hours. I could tolerate it, and then when I turn the lights on in the morning, I went back 20 minutes later nothing, no smell. The Pure Light LED light bulb performs seven functions besides providing light, including cleaning the air of all types of odors, any kind of smoke, of eliminating mold and eliminating deadly germs like salmonella, E. coli, even flesh-eating bacteria. My kids who are grown up say our house smells like old people house. And so I put bulbs in the hallway and my uh, kids from Florida came last week and said, man, the house smells great. See for yourself at pure-light.com. That's pure-light.com. Com. It's the next generation of light. Pounds and pounds of fur. Our hairballs have hairballs. Our cat mama, she's 10 years old. She has dandruff and an oily coat. I have two cats, Zippy and Daisy. Daisy sheds like crazy. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I just tried this wonderful, catalicious Dynavite for cats, and my cat has been on it for two weeks. She is not scratching anymore. She's not chewing anymore. It is just the best. I was thrilled when I heard Dynavite for cats was coming out because I would seen the changes in my dog. To introduce my cat to Dynavite, I took the advice from Dynavite and put their food on top of just a scoop in the bowl just to get them used to it because I know if I even switch one little thing, they put their nose up to it. There was not one problem. Dynavite for life. You won't believe how happy your cat will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network. We're so happy to have you with us. This is Delaine England. I'm so happy to have Olivia Don join us. Welcome, Olivia. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. We had a few technical problems, but we've got those worked out, so we're glad you could jump in. Okay, so Olivia, we're talking about the initiative and referendum bill, HB 136. So I was explaining how in the past, what has happened is when, like last, I guess last year, the year before, we had six initiatives on the ballot at once. And so people would go out and they're getting paid per signature. So they would say, oh, this, this petition, this initiative is about, and just to make clear to everyone, an initiative is when you pass a law, not through our legislature, but you do it through the citizens and you just go, you do an initiative and you, you go out and you gather signatures to get it put on the ballot instead of doing it the way that we do a republic, which is through the legislative process. This is kind of goes around that and just takes it straight to a, a democracy and just have has the people pass a law. So what they were doing is there are six different signatures. So this is like when medical marijuana was on the ballot was one of the initiatives. They would say, oh, do you want to have medical marijuana and do you want to have freedom to choose? And so a lot of people like, yes. 
So they would sign that initiative and then they'd say, okay, we need you to sign here and here and here and here. So they're signing six, thinking they're all signing a medical marijuana one or something else and not realizing they were signing six different initiatives about six different issues. So then a lot of people were very angry and they're, they're like, I have no idea who that person was at my door. I don't know how to get a hold of them. I don't know what else I signed. I don't know how to remove my signature from those initiatives. So what Tusher did was just create a real great cleanup to make that a much better bill. So Olivia, why don't you tell us some of the things that are in the bill that he did to make that a better bill, a better law? For sure. Um, one of the things that I loved so much that he included in this law was the fact that they were going to require every signature gatherer to wear an identifying name tag of some kind. Um, one of the biggest reasons for that was he said, if you are going and you are gathering signatures for an initiative, you are behaving as though you are a lobbyist. We have these laws in place that if you are a paid lobbyist and you're lobbying the legislature during the session or at any point during the the year you have to have an id card you have to be making um you have to be recording certain things um you have to file certain reports and so he put this in place so that then those who were going door to door and gathering signatures were not being paid per signature but rather by some other means and then also hourly. had that identifier yeah. yeah they have to be paid hourly which my, the the government tells me how i pay my i have to pay my employees hourly because people were saying the government shouldn't be telling people how they have to pay. I'm like, I so agree. I am on top. Let's, <laughs> let's get that taken care of. But if you're going to tell me how I have to pay my employees, there's nothing different about this. It's the same thing. But let's, I, I think that is on the table for legislation to stop having the government tell us how we have to pay our employees. But I this agree. makes it consistent with the rest of us businesses. Yes. So, yeah, I think that is a really, really good thing. Another part is that when you go to get to do signatures, whether it's you're a paid, a paid lobbyist, a paid signature gatherer or a volunteer, you have to give the person the paper um, with the link on it so they can go read the entire thing. And I think this was really brilliant, really, really good, because as we know, with the tax referendum, that bill was like 25 pages long. It's huge. And so every single book booklet, every packet, ha they had to print the entire 25 pages, which made doing the referendum without any other expenses, just printing it was over $25,000, $30,000. And so this completely saves that. So on either side, the initiative of referendum, you don't have to print this huge long bill or current law out. You just give them a little piece of paper that has the link on it so they can go and they can read the whole thing. Cause you know, you take it, but who's, who sits there when they're going to sign the petition and reads 25 page bill? No one does. So you're printing it for really just a waste of time and money. So this way they can actually go read it if they want to, they have it in their hands and after they've signed it, they can read it. And then what's another part or another really great part of that? Cause when they go read the petition, if they don't like it, what can they do? So there's an option to be able to remove your signature from any um, petition, referendum, or initiative that you decide you don't like. And so along with being given that link, you're also being given instructions for how to remove your signature if you decide that you were either misled in what you signed or after reading it, you understood things differently and no longer wanted to have your signature on there. And I love that because it's making sure that the, uh, the populace, the, the citizens of the state of Utah, if we're going to behave as lawmakers, we should have 
have all that information and we should have the ability to make sure that we're we're actually educated on what it is that we are becoming a law. Very well said. Absolutely agree. Okay. So, and that passed and um, that will be, I'm sure, signed and go into law. So I I think that was a really great win. Okay. So we're going to focus on one of our great losses, in my personal opinion, I know everyone doesn't agree with me, but SB 214 official language, this passed, but I think it, I think it was an absolutely horrible bill, horrible bill. I agree. So what do you think, Don? Well, so this, this law in particular, this bill was, was very frustrating because currently or prior to this legislative session, the this Utah statute said, that English is the official language of Utah. But then afterwards, it also included a bunch of different things that required public notices to be printed in English, making sure that anything that is going out from a governmental entity, anything that needs to be reaching the masses needs to be printed in the official language of the state. And there was a list of things that needed to make sure that they were made made public through our official language. And this particular bill got rid of all of that and only kept the sentence Utah is the, or English is the official language of Utah. So it got rid of everything that guarantees that we as a society can unify under one language. So well said, because what we know is that if if you say it's the official language, but you're printing things in how many different languages, does it matter that it's in code that you, that English is the official language when people are speaking all different languages? It, it doesn't mean anything. It's a way to take English and make it not the official language without passing a law to make it not the official language. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think it, it was very sad. It was very sad that so many people, because they thought, in my opinion, from talking to them, they thought, oh, I, I don't want to appear racist. I want to show how open I am, that we're open, and that if people are immigrating here, let's make life easier for them. Interesting. Did you hear the testimony on the floor of the House when it passed the House? I did. Representative Kwan made a very, yes. very powerful argument um, with regard to this. Mm-hmm. Representative Kwan is a Democrat, and she she testified against the bill and literally cried, pleading with people to not pass the bill. What did she say? Um, she said quite a few things. One of the things that she talked about was how when she was going. Oh, dear, we lost you. Um, okay. All right, you're back. So what did she okay. say? Um, she said that at home, her family had all been speaking the language of her parents because they had immigrated from another country and they had all been speaking their homeland language at home. And when the kids ended up going to school, the teachers ended up telling them, you cannot speak that language at home anymore. At least for now, these kids need to learn English in order to be able to progress in society and be able to really do well in school and all the other things that needed to take place. And and it was very emotional because she wanted to be able to hold on to the roots of her language and her her culture, but she also understood the importance of the fact that if you're going to live in another place, you all have to unify. And the only way to unify is by having a way in which all can communicate. So you have to have that official language that breaks down the barriers that actually separates us. Very well said. And she was so tearing. She's like, I'm so grateful that my parents 
made us and that our teachers supported that and our parents made us learn English. And she goes, I'm so grateful because see, look at now, she is a representative, an elected official in the state of Utah. And that would not be the case if she had not learned English. And she said, you know, it opened, opened up every opportunity in the world to her because she could assimilate and her whole family could assimilate. They were they were equals and they found that they were given so many more opportunities than they wouldn't. And we know people that don't, that immigrate here and don't learn the language, they are not, they do not have the same opportunities. It, it's just so much harder. Life is so much more difficult for them. So I thought she gave brilliant testimony and I was very sad to see they went ahead and passed it. So um, we will have a great expense of having in, uh, our documents being printed in other languages and, and it goes on so much past there. But our time is up. Thank you so much for joining us, Olivia. And remember, you are the guardians of your liberty. Thank you.